You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys ready for God's word this morning? Excited? The Steelers are playing today. That's exciting. You guys aren't excited about that? That's okay. I'm excited about that. Uh, my, this week, I had, you know, one of those painful moments um, in the evening. I'm folding laundry in our living room, and I was, had the TV on, and it died. Like, right in the middle, five minutes in, the TV just shuts off, and it was, like, beyond repair. So I'm super excited, because I get to watch the Steelers game on a new TV. That's exciting. Um, can't get better than that, right? It's the little things in life. It's the little things in life. Um, uh, so thank you guys for joining us uh, in person here online. Uh, if you haven't been with us throughout this month, we have been walking through a series called Becoming. And really the heart and, and passion and vision behind this whole series is we have found ourselves at a place in our world where we have become obsessed with where we're going. Well, if this is happening, then what's that going to mean? Or, or if this is happening, then what's that going to mean for society, for my life, for, for our world? And we've become obsessed with trying to figure out where everything's going and, and what's going to happen. And in the process, we have sold out what we're becoming to, to stop where we're going. And throughout this month, we've been talking about, let's stop talking about where we're going. Let's start talking about what we're becoming. And we've kind of been talking about these elements. We, we consider our values as a church or these habits that really we build one upon the other to become who God wants us to be. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how we start with God's word and his spirit and uh, then the next week, we talked about how we grow best in the context of relationships. Uh, last week, we talked about how we move forward together in teams. And next week, we're going to be uh, talking about, kind of closing out the series, how we generously invest what we've been given. Today, though, we want to talk about how we engage our world. Now, if you were to ask most people in our world what a Christian looks like, There's a lot of different pictures that they might envision in their mind, things that they might think of. Some might think of this. Uh, They think of a Christian, this is what Christians are like. Uh, That's Dana Carvey, if you're not familiar, but um, good stuff. Or, Or others might think of this when they think of a Christian. Some might even picture something like this the apostle. Uh, Or 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 there are others that this is what they think Christians are like. And and when we we might have a different view of what Christians are, but this is what our world pictures when they hear the word Christian. This is what they envision uh, that, that a Christians are to be like or, or, or are like. Uh, and throughout the Gospels, Jesus would present a very different picture of what a follower of Jesus should be like. He, he, he describes pictures more like these pictures here, um, like this, or, or maybe something uh, like this one uh, here. Uh, where we're making a difference, or, or maybe, maybe a picture like this, or, or last one, this, this picture. Uh, you know, this, this is what, uh, as followers of Jesus, what we're called to do. Uh, in, in fact, you see, Jesus made some pretty clear statements throughout his teachings in the gospel that we as Christians should be viewed uh, in a very specific way and, and how, what we should be doing to be viewed that way. Here's what he said. Statements like this in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Or, or statements like this in Mark 9, 35. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And, and, and I, can I be honest with you guys this morning? 
Today's message is more than just another message, but this is, kind of strikes a nerve in me. Uh, this is a little bit of a pet peeve I have with the church in general. And I'm not trying to speak poorly of other churches or communities of faith, and that's not what we're going to do at all. That's not why we're here. But my pet peeve is the posture the church has taken in America toward those outside its walls. And uh, there's been something that, man, I've just been burning to share from God's word this morning. And uh, I, I apologize in advance if I get a little excited. So why don't you just turn to your neighbor, neighbor and say, buckle up. Buckle up. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. Over the last hundred plus years, the church in America has begun to take this stronger and stronger belief and stance uh, in its position in society. And and the stance has become increasingly more about how can we gather more people? How can we get more people in the doors, in the seats? And that's what defines us as a church. That's what defines a good Christian. A good follower of Jesus is one that just sits in the seat, that comes to church when they're supposed to. Uh, But but many of us, we're here today, you know, at, at church, and that's awesome. Some of you are watching online. I'm so grateful for that. This is awesome. But, but can I tell you that being at church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a barn makes you a pig. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus never defined our Christianity or our faith on our coming, but on our going. In the great command, or we call the great commission, Jesus didn't say, gather everyone to the church and you will honor my name. If you can just gather as many people as possible. He said, go and make disciples. As the church, capital C, uh, we have lost touch with an ever-changing world because we've huddled ourselves inside our buildings to quote-unquote protect ourselves from an evil world. And we're like, man, if we can just keep ourselves safe, uh, uh, you know, these four no more, we're going to be okay. Uh, This runs, though, in complete opposition to so much that Jesus taught. God never intended for us to live safe lives, but sometimes to take dangerous, uncomfortable steps of faith in our lives. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do something that you're like, that's not the safe choice. (laughs) That that doesn't make logical sense. And when we, we shrink back, Because in our humanity, we're like, I don't know if I should do that. But God sometimes calls us to things that don't make sense. On on top of that, Jesus said that we are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And that can't happen if we're not actually engaged in the world. So so what does that mean? Here's the strong conviction we have as a church. As long as I'm pastor of this church, we will never allow those inside the walls of this church to be more important than those outside these walls. That doesn't mean that you aren't important. (laughs) Doesn't mean like people who come to church here and are part of our church family are throwaway. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that those outside our walls are far more important. We don't exist for you. We exist to equip you to reach those folks outside these walls. We will not settle in. We will not circle the wagons. We will, not, we, will, we will be committed to pulling our resources. We will use every resource, every ounce of influence, and every platform we're given to shout from the mountaintops that, that God loves our world. That is our commitment. We will walk through every door, get down in the mud with every person that needs help. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled. That's how he, what he's called us to do. See, we love every person regardless of who they are, because ultimately they matter to God. 
Now, some might think, well, pastor, just preach the word. Preach the word, and that's all you need. And, and, and I would agree, preaching the gospel, the message of God's word is important, but the gospel should ultimately translate to action. Not simply my action as a pastor or our pastor's action, our action collectively, that we all play a part in this. And as we're transformed by the gospel, we should take what God has done for us, and it should overflow into the world around us, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to, to, to that homeless guy that you encounter, to that, that difficult neighbor down the street, to, to, to that guy that just rubs you the wrong way at work. God has called us to overflow into that person's life. See, we don't exist as followers of Jesus ultimately to bottle up all we can get from God and keep it to ourselves. Like, we're not just a collection point for God's promises, God's presence, God's word, his power. We're not just a collection point. No, the gospel of Jesus at its core is a show and tell message. It's a show and tell gospel. It's a message that is meant to be told and modeled. That means regardless of what your net worth is, regardless of what your title uh, is, what title you carry or don't carry, regardless of where you live, what you drive or how you were raised, when you commit to following Jesus, you have committed to a life of serving the hurting, the broken, the overlooked, the forgotten, the outcast. That's what you're committing to. You're not committing to be part of this really cool club that you can sit around and talk about all the people who aren't doing things right so that you can feel more superior. That's not what you're committing to. That's not the way of Jesus. Uh, you're not committing to, to, to being able to, to wear on your, your uh, you know, lapel a cross just so people can look at you and feel you know, like, man, you're this really important person. That's not what it's about. When you commit to following Jesus, you're committing to getting down in the mud, to getting dirty a little bit, to being willing to be a servant. Why? Because you're committing to follow the way of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He did all those things. He actually went to the cross. And he calls us to take up our cross and to follow him, to follow in his footsteps. <clears throat> this is what God has called us to do. Now, how do I know that? It's because that's the scorecard Jesus gives us. That, that these things, these, this is the scorecard that Jesus gives us. And, and, and as is true in every area of your life, what you measure ultimately matters. The things you measure are the things you matter to you, right? The things that you keep track of in your life, that's really what matters. Maybe you're really, you know, specific keeping track of your calendar, that's a good thing. That means your time is really important. It's valuable to you. Maybe you track your money real specifically. If you don't, you might want to start doing that. But, um, you know, that means that matters to you. Maybe, maybe you, you track, um, you know, how well, uh, well, how poorly the pirates are doing, you know? And, and that's something you really important to you. Whatever it is, like the things that you track, that's what you matter. What you measure matters. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this interesting parable. Now, if you're not familiar, a parable is a story that Jesus tells. It's not real. It's not an actual story. It's fictional, but it's a story told with a meaning. So he does this throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he would tell these stories to illustrate something, to illustrate a point. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's really helpful. Like when you tell someone something, they're like, I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not catching what you're throwing down there. And, and you're able to tell a story to illustrate it. It's like sharing a new word that people don't understand, but when you say it in a sentence, they're like, okay, I kind of understand what you're saying, what that word means. You give definition to it. Jesus would tell stories that we call parables to help give definition to a, a, an eternal principle or an idea that he's trying to convey. And, and in Matthew 25, he's doing this. He tells this parable 
uh, and it's about the end, about judgment, and ultimately about what's going to matter most in those moments. Essentially, he's showing us what's really most important. And here's how the story goes. It's recorded in Matthew 25, starting in verse 32. Here's what it says. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Uh, Why don't you turn to the person on your right and say, you're a sheep. And you can let the person on your left just wonder what they are um, for a few more moments. Yeah, all right. This is what he did. He said, in the story, he's separating the sheep. It's the sheep over here, the goats. And he says, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, he's talking kind of like allegorically. He's not actually talking about real sheep and goats. He's talking about people here that he's kind of putting these two different areas. Uh, now, the, the sheep that he's talking about here, those, these are those that have honored Jesus and carried his name well throughout their lives. And what does he do with them? Here's what he does. Verse 35, he explains. He said, why, why, are, why are they sheep and why are they goats? Here's why. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Man, that's awesome. Can I tell you, that's the friend you want, right? That's the person you want in your life. When you're sick, when you're in need, when your car breaks down, when, you know, something happens and you're in prison, whatever it might be, you know, that's the friend you want to come bail you out, to come help you out, to come save you, to, to come help you in whatever area it might be. And, and Jesus is saying, man, when I was in these difficult places, you came and you helped me. How awesome. Now, if I'm sitting there, I, you know, you'd think, yeah, man, this is a good friend. I did do those things for me, for, for that friend. Here was the problem. All the people he's talking to in this story are really confused right now because they're like, we never did that stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. It was confusing. Think about this. If, if we were in that number, among those people he categorized as sheep, um, have you ever provided clothes for Jesus or taken care of him when he was sick? No. No, we didn't do that. That's kind of weird. Seems like this only applies to those that were actually there during Christ's time on earth. Huh. So, so the, the sheep, so to speak, those group, they ask him about this. Verse 37. It says, then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a a, a stranger and and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Now, these are good people because they're like, whoa, don't give us credit for what we didn't actually do. Um, They're not like trying to take credit for something they didn't do. And they're like, Yo, Jesus, we didn't do any of this. What, what do you, I appreciate the kind words, but, but maybe you're thinking of somebody else because it's not us. And then Jesus answers them, answers this question with one of the most iconic statements in Scripture. Verse 40 of Matthew 25. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. Man, Jesus is saying, when you were doing it for the least of these, you're doing it unto me. Then, then he addresses everyone on the other side. And you know, this side's really good. Like, we could stop there and that's cool. But there's another side. There's always two sides, right? Uh, there's always a good and a bad. This is the bad side. Verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are 
cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Man, that's a pretty strong response. What Jesus is illustrating here in Matthew 25 is how incredibly important this is. That, this is the, the, the scorecard here isn't based on what you think, what you say, or even where you go. What Jesus is saying here is the scorecard that he illustrates is based on what you do with what you think, what you say, or where you go. You see, we as followers of Jesus, and, and collectively as a faith community, do not exist simply for the gathering. We exist for the going. We are here to engage our world. It's because we engage our local and global community ultimately to transform the world. We exist to to engage that world so that we can see the world transformed. The win for us isn't a bigger church. It's not a wealthier church or a more appealing church. The win for us is a transformed world. Last year, when COVID hit and, you know, everything shut down and churches weren't meeting in person but online, pastors and ourselves included, we talked a lot about this, that, man, we're not defined by the gathering. We can still be a church without coming together like this. And, and, and that was awesome. And, and, you know, as kind of time has gone on and people are gathering again and, and we've kind of lost that message, can I tell you, I am just as convinced of that fact today as I was a year ago. Calvary Church is not going to be defined by simply this moment. If this is all we do, we are falling short of what God desires of us. We ultimately are to be catalysts for change in our world. That everywhere you go, everywhere you step your foot, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, at the grocery store, at the gas station, at a restaurant, everywhere you go as a follower of Jesus, you should be carrying the power of God to be a catalyst for change. Does that mean that when you walk into Applebee's, you're like, before we eat, let me stand up on this chair and I need to preach a message to these people here. Today. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that, that just as Jesus did in the, in the normal flow of life, Jesus didn't preach a message every time he encountered somebody. He actually showed them a message by what he did. He would heal the sick. He would listen to people who were hurting. He took time to value people as he encountered them. We are to be catalysts for change. Not just when we walk into the doors of church like magically this is the only place change can happen. Actually, change happens more effectively outside of this place. At your cubicle, at work, in the hallway, at school, in the, in the, in the dairy department, at the grocery store. Like That's where change can happen. And it's organic. It's not planned. It's being willing to be obedient to the Spirit of God when he prompts you when the opportunities present yourself. So, so uh, you know, maybe you've heard us talk about uh, our mission as a church. And this idea is at the core of our mission. That as a church, we exist to lead people into an overflowing life with Jesus. That leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus doesn't mean that we just lead people to Jesus. You know, that's not our goal. That's not our mission. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to lead people to Jesus in such a way that it actually overflows into someone else's life. That it becomes a, an exponential thing, a multiplying thing. 
So, so the question is, what does this mean for us as a church? One of our passions is to give opportunities for each and every one of us individually or maybe as a family uh, to, to, to be able to engage our local and global community, whether that's going on a mission trip or serving right here in our backyard. And, and the question is, like, why do we do all this stuff? Because, you know, we are really passionate about engaging our community. But, but what can happen very easily is you can come to church here. You can say, man, I love Calvary. I love what they're doing. And you can be so excited about how we're engaging our community. And we do that a lot. You can love that you go to a church, you're part of a church that is engaging the community, is make, giving back, is serving, is, is making a difference, but actually never do it yourself. It's easy to do that. What we're talking about isn't just celebrating what we as a church are doing, but being willing to do it yourself, to, to be willing to take on that responsibility yourself. Uh, we, if we're not careful, we end up celebrating everyone else's wins without being part of the game, standing on the sideline. This isn't simply about celebrating what we do as a church. It's about what you do as a family or as an individual. And I know what you're thinking. I don't have time for this. I don't have time to do more stuff. I get it. Maybe you're thinking, well, you're a pastor. You should do this stuff. That's your job, right? Well, I will say one of the joys I have uh, over my uh, seven years, seven and a half years of having children, one of the joys I've had with my kids is volunteering uh, at a lot of different places. We serve every time with Fresh Express, which is a, a food distribution for the Westmoreland County Food Bank. You know, we've, we've served uh, in a lot of different uh, community events. We serve every year at Toys for Tots. I love doing that stuff. And, and can I tell you, that's not part of my church schedule or responsibility. That's part of my family time. Those are things that I do because I want to model that for my kids because I believe this is what we all do. We serve. Now, I know I'm a pastor, but this isn't about my job. This is about what I do. It's my family time. My calendar, trust me, is insane. Uh, just over the last week, I've had two funerals, a wedding, met with people, uh, marriages, and worked through stuff, and, and working on messages, and meetings for planning stuff, and all. Like, if you saw my calendar, trust me, it's insane. Uh, it's like running full speed every day, all day. I don't have time for more stuff. I'm with you. I get it. We're all really busy. I'm not asking you to add to your list of stuff. I'm saying this is the stuff. Like, this is our reason for being. We don't exist as human beings to just make it through life, to just tackle one more task, one more responsibility. We exist to change the world. And, and, and if we miss that, it changes the context of everything else we do. When we get that, everything we do falls into a different context. Because even the stuff you hate, that stuff you have to do at work, uh, whatever it might be, when you understand the meaning and purpose behind it, that it's bigger than just that moment, man, it, it brings life. As we engage the world, it, it's not just about doing good. It's about transforming the world. See, we can, we can turn this into, hey, let's just serve and, and do good in our community and do good in our world and, and make everyone happy. That's not what Jesus asked us to do. He asked us to, to change the world. And part of the changing the world, quote unquote, is recognizing that we can change a person physically, spiritually, emotionally. You're like, I don't have a Bible college degree. I don't know how to do that. How do we do that? What we talked about the last three weeks is exactly how you do it. Start with God's word and his spirit. Grow in the context of relationships. Move forward together in teams. 
That's it. You want to know how you do that? There you go. You've got it. You can buy a t-shirt. It's written on the back. And you just have to like spin your t-shirt around. You can just read it. Um, this, is, this is what we've called to do. We are not called to simply attend church or be part of church. We are called to be the church, to engage our world, to engage our community. And, and this week, as uh, the worship team comes, we prepare to close today. We have an opportunity to put this into practice. We have a few different serving opportunities out in the foyer today. Uh, Beverly's birthday is right here in Norwin. And uh, Pittsburgh Dream Center, they serve all over Pittsburgh area. Uh, one of our local fire departments, Straw Pump uh, Volunteer Fire Department, uh, always in need of volunteers. You have three great opportunities to serve. That doesn't mean you're committing the rest of your life, but maybe you just serve one time for something. If you have kids, man, what a great opportunity to make a difference in the life of one of your children as you serve. Maybe you're by yourself. Man, what a great opportunity to add meaning and purpose to what your regular schedule looks like. It could be crazy. I promise you, taking an hour or a couple hours out of your day uh, in a given week or month or year brings value to the rest of those hours. Why, why do we do this? Like, what? None of this benefits us as a church. None of those serving opportunities, none of those are gonna benefit us as a church. We're gonna be like, man, our church is awesome because no, this doesn't benefit us. It benefits them. Why do we do that? It's because we engage our local and global community to transform our world. That's our reason for being. That's what we're here for. And this is what Jesus said and showed us that we should become. This is what we should become. He, he says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, I love this verse. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, can you say great? Whoever wants to become great, we all want to be great, don't we? We're told when we're little kids, you're going to be great. Someday you can do great things. You can do whatever you put your mind to. Like someday, that's what we like to hear. What Jesus is saying, let me flip this on its head a little bit. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And you know, he could have stopped there and he said, wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a powerful thought. Let me process that a little bit. You know, Jesus, thank you for sharing that with me. But let me think about that because that doesn't quite add up to me. I don't know if that's right. Sounds interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll ponder that. He doesn't stop there. He's like, here's what I just said, but let me show you. I'm actually going to do this. He said, just as the son of man, he's speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and he could have put a period there. That would have been a really good spot for a period. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Man, Jesus was the Son of God. Man, he came from the right hand of the Father. He was an incredible, miraculous, supernatural figure. He could have stopped there. He's like, I'm not just here to serve, be served. I'm here to serve. I don't just have people waiting on me. But he continues to the comma. He said, not just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's like, guys, here's the deal. I didn't just come to serve. I came to serve and give everything. Give my life as a ransom. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm giving my whole life to this. This isn't just about me doing some like, uh, you know, practical little thing to help someone. I'm gonna give everything I've got to this. And, and here's the questions I have for you today as we prepare to close. Number one, what are you giving your life to? What are you giving your life to? Is what you're giving your life to something that you are intentionally choosing to give your life to? Or something that life and circumstances and schedule have just pinned you to? I would encourage you, take that back. 
Take that choice back and make a choice. What are you giving your life to? Number two, how are you serving the least of these in our world? You can read from cover to cover in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, beginning and end. One of the core callings of every follower of God in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, was serving the least of these. How are you serving the least of these? What are you doing to help the least of these? And number three, how can you, as a person or a family, how can you prioritize not just the coming, but the going in your busy schedule? How can you prioritize not just the coming, but the going? How are you going? How are you serving? How are you engaging our world? We have a few opportunities in the foyer today. It's not all of them. Whatever it looks like for you, I want to challenge you. This is what we're called to be. Don't get me wrong. This doesn't benefit us as a church at all. And I'm telling you today, nothing that we're talking about engaging our world is here to benefit us as a church, benefit me or anything like that. This is about transforming our world. We talked about it earlier. We live in a broken world. And if our world's going to be healed, redeemed, transformed, it's not going to happen from some preacher on a platform sharing God's word. It's not going to happen by some outreach that we do. It's going to happen through the context of relationships as you are in relationship with people and you are willing to be a catalyst for change. That's what God's called us to do. It's what God's called each and every one of us to do. In different ways, we talked about last week that we're the body. We all have different functions and gifts in different ways, but we're called to do that. How are you changing the world? What ultimately are you giving your life to? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would work in us. God, there are some of us who are here in person or watching online. God, that this message might not sit right. The thoughts of all the stuff and baggage and issues and busy schedules and chaos of life flooding their mind. God, I pray in this moment that you just, God, kind of clean the deck for a moment. And God, let us picture at a higher level what we're ultimately giving our lives to. Are we giving our lives to our job, our career? Are we giving our lives to our finances? Are we giving our lives to the stuff that we want to acquire and the status that we want to achieve? Lord, help us to evaluate appropriately what we're actually giving our lives to and to make an intentional choice, to give it to the things that matter most. God, I pray that you would raise up world changers from this church, world changers who are ready and committed, Lord, to not just go to church, be a good Christian, but Lord, to leave these, this place and to change the world outside of it. God, let us not be satisfied with the status quo. God, push us, challenge us, inspire us to believe and work towards something more. Let us see our world changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you've called us to. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and privilege you give us. Holy Spirit, empower us and equip us to do what you've called us to. Even when it's scary, even when it seems dangerous, even if it seems unsafe, Lord, equip us to do what you've called us to. God, I pray as we leave this place this morning, as we go about our busy lives, go to work or school or things we have on our schedules throughout this week, God, I pray you would help us to do it with an eye toward the eternal. Lord, with an awareness of how our words and our actions and our interactions can actually change the world to redeem the broken, this broken world. God, let us be willing to love the least of these. Lord, that whatever we do unto the least of these, we do unto you. Let us do it with excellence with all that we've got. 
give it our very best. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege you've given us to do these things in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 